It's the Audition Helper Podcast with special guest, playwright Claire Barron. Hey there, everybody. Great to talk with you. It's been a long time. I just finished directing Aaron Sorkin's A Few Good Men at the Bristol Riverside Theater, and it was a lot of work, and it was a lot of fun, and we ended up with a really beautiful piece of theater. He is such a great writer, that Aaron Sorkin. Um, It's a hard play because it's kind of written like a movie, but we figured it out. We got a great production. So if you're in the East Coast, Philadelphia region, or even if you're in New York, come down to the Bristol Riverside Theater in Bristol, PA, and check out A Few Good Men. It's really a special production. We got an incredible cast um, that really uh, stand up to the cast from the movie, Jack Nicholson, Tom Cruise, Demi Moore. I've got so many great actors. Uh, my Colonel Jessup, Richard Watson, is just, it's a, it's a performance to behold. So I, I'm serious. I, I think it's a special production, not just because I directed it, um, but I would encourage you, if you love Aaron Sorkin, to come down and see it. I, I don't think you will regret it. It's running through May 22nd. So you got time, and we hope to see you there. Today, I am talking to playwright Claire Barron. Um, you may know her work from plays such as Dance Nation, Baby Screams Miracle, and most recently, her play Shh at the Atlantic Theater Company premiered this past January. Um, the play is called Shh. I'm not telling anybody to shut up or, or, or lower your voice. That is the name of the play, and it's a really interesting piece of work. It's heavy. It deals with sexual assault. It's not an easy piece of work. And in discussing it, we sort of get into some pretty graphic material. If you are easily offended or if you're easily grossed out, um, you may not want to listen to this. There's definitely sexual stuff being discussed and bodily functions. Just be forewarned. We're going to go there. We're going to get into all that. Um, it's a great play. Claire is incredible. She's just as sweet as she can be and, and just a wonderful person. I really enjoyed talking with her and picking her brain. She's a really brave playwright, and I I so admire her work, and I really enjoyed seeing Shh at the Atlantic Theatre Company. Um, I talked to her just after I saw it in January, and then I've been sort of editing this since then. So it's been a few months since I talked to her, um, and this is just now coming out. So you'll you'll see that we, you know, discuss things that are coming up in the future that are actually now in the past. So uh, just know that. Okay, I got to say one other thing. The day that I talked to Claire, my equipment was being finicky. I don't know why. Um, we were running into trouble, and I had to troubleshoot some technical stuff. So the first few minutes of this conversation, the audio is not great, I have to admit. But hang in there. About four minutes in, it clears up, and it starts to get really good. So just bear with me for about four minutes of 
kind of crappy audio. Uh, it's me, really. Claire sounds great. It's me. Um, but bear with me, and then it'll get going, and it'll be very good. You'll, you'll be glad you hung in there. Without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with playwright Claire Barron. You're really frank in this, and you're just, it's like very raw, and I imagine you're drawing on a lot of personal stuff and putting stuff out there that I think not many playwrights would feel comfortable putting out there. And just the the way the characters talk, the way your character talks about her sexual mishap with the poop and all that stuff. Um, Like it's incredible how honest and open your writing is. And I, I wonder what is that like for you? Are you is that how you are naturally or do you push yourself to reach that level of frankness? There's something about it that feels like really good to be that frank about one's body. Like I definitely have a lot of like catharsis on stage when I do it. And I, I am in real life a very, it's weird. I, I think people who don't know me very well think of me as like very like polite and professional, but then I think people who know me well know that it is actually quite close to my personality in the sense that like I, I am very explicit, emotional, frank. A lot of, a lot of that is just how I've always been, you know, growing up, I grew up in a rural community, a Christian community, a conservative community. And so particularly around sex, uh, repression and sort of like not talking about things and like shame were sort of like the things that I was like taught and the things that I inherited. So I think some of my kind of like brashness is like, is a little bit like going to battle with that um, repression. You're from Wenatchee, um, Washington, and I've been out there. You've been to Wenatchee? Yeah, well, we used to go, my wife and I used to go hiking in the Alpine Lake region um, Uh every summer for like, we did this probably for 10 summers. Wow, that's incredible. I mean, it's a beautiful part of the world. So is it like, talk about your your background and your upbringing. You, You come from like a religious background? No, so it's my upbringing is complicated. My my um and also Wenatchee, I'm sure has like changed. I'm 36, so like now I'm like going back far into the past. It feels like to get there, but like the community is a what I would call like a Christian community with a lot of people who are evangelical and who are Mormon and who are people of faith. Basically, my my I grew up going to church with my parents, but I actually got most of my conservative doctrine from like my teenage girlfriends. Like I feel like while other teenagers were like having sex and like getting drunk for the first time, I was like going to youth group and my girlfriends and I were like talking about like how we were saving ourselves for Jesus. So it's always like a little confusing because, you know, I tell people I come from like a Christian background and they're like, oh, your parents. And it's actually like my teenage girlfriends who gave that to me. And it stuck with me for a while. I remember I went to college um, and like I went to Yale. And one of the first things I did when I got to Yale was sign up for like Yale students for Christ. That was like one of the first things I did because that like made me feel at home. It made me feel like safe. So it, it, it took me a while to sort of like undo some of that like religious upbringing. And a big, you know, part of that was saving yourself for marriage, which is something that I did want to do for like a very, very long time. And so what are your parents like? I, I, they're not they're not religious people. 
No, well, my mom actually works for the church, but like they, they're religious, but like, but I don't know how to explain it. Like with some emotional distance from it. So they like go to church, but like, I think they see it more as like a civic thing, like a community thing, as opposed to like, I grew up in a household with a lot of like freedom of thought and like other ideas and other influences. So I, I kind of was getting it from like both poles. How did your, how did your parents get to Wenatchee? Are they from there? And like, how, how did your family end up there? Yeah. So my mom is from a town called Pendleton, Oregon, which is in Eastern Oregon. Um, it's where the Roundup is, which is like this big famous rodeo and her family came to Oregon on the Oregon trail in like 1844. So they're like wheat ranchers, like long-term like Oregon people. And then my dad was actually born in Zimbabwe when he actually met my mom when they were 17 years old and he was an exchange student. So they like met really young um, and they lived all around the world for a while before I was born and then when I was four, we moved to Wenatchee to be close to my mom's family. And so like that, I have, that's what I mean. I have this like split thing is like, I have this international angle and like my parents lived all over the world and the, all that stuff was in my house. But then I also was like from four years old in Wenatchee growing up with that like friend group. And so like, I, I've always had kind of like a split cultural experience a little bit. Are your parents still out there? Yeah. Uh, do do they see your work? Like, do they interact with your stuff? Yeah, they're great. Um, I asked them to not come see this play. <laughs> okay. Which they understood. I was like, this one is, especially because I'm acting in it. I was just like, this one is like too much for you to see. Um, but my other plays, they totally come. They they totally come and are they're like super and they're very supportive. They're very supportive. Have you acted in your work before? Yeah, I acted in a play at the Bushwick Star. It's actually similar circumstances. I had a very small part. It was one scene. It was seven minutes long, but it was a sex scene and it was very explicit and there was nudity involved, like for me. And I didn't want to ask an actress to do it. So I I just did it basically, Um, which were some of the similar, like, I mean, there's a lot of reasons why I acted in this play, but like some of them is also just like, um, you're like in this current play, I like take something out of my body, like out of my vagina and like put it back in, you know, that's not something I want to ask someone else to do on stage. So yeah, those are the only two times I've worked act in my work where there, there's a little bit of like a performance art kind of thing going on where like, I'm actually doing things that I wouldn't necessarily want an actor to, to do. So you, that's interesting. So you put yourself in your work because you you don't feel comfortable writing it for someone else to do and ask them to do it. So it sort of takes that burden off your shoulders and just you kind of take one for the team, essentially. Is that how you would put it? Or <laughs> am I being crass? <laughs> no, I mean, like, the, the thing that's funny is, like, Greg Keller, right, who's in this play, he actually has the biggest burden in the play in terms of, like, intimacy, I think. So in this play, someone else is doing that. I, I had known Greg for that point for, like, a very, very long time. And he had done a bunch of workshops for the play. And I remember we did maybe like six workshops for the play. And I remember like um, on workshop three, having like a conversation with him, like, you know what happens in this play? Like, do you really want to do this? When you're a writer and you write sexually explicit material, you have to like really think about like what you're asking someone else to do, especially in the theater where like there's going to be an audience and you're going to have to do it again and again and again and again. Like I've written some nudity into my other plays and I honestly kind of like regretted it because I was just sort of like, oh, it it almost just kind of like bummed me out after a while. Like I'm just kind of like, I mean, I think it was beautiful in the play, but just having to do that 
ask can feel so complicated. So I don't know. It's something I haven't figured out. And I think I'll keep thinking about as I keep making work. But like, I don't know. I like stuff that's graphic. But then, yeah, it's really intense to ask another human to to do that on, in front of people live, you know? Well, it's, it's such a... I'm so glad we're talking about this because I'm a playwright myself. And I often write... Um, I write about nudity as a topic. So my plays will often um, include nudity. Um, but I don't, I, it's not usually sexual. I don't write about sex. I, I write about what what it means to be naked, essentially. And I'm not the talented actor that you are. So I can't just get on stage and I, I would, but I can't just get on stage and, and do, like I have a play where everybody's naked. So I can't do all of that. I have to like, get actors to do what you're saying, which is a, which is a big ask. And it does, it, it bums me out too, to have to like, like some actors have been like, well, I can't do the nudity. Can't we do the play without the nudity? And I say, no, the play's about nudity. We don't do the play if we don't do the nudity. And, and so that, that precludes certain actors. And then it feels so like, almost like coercion at a certain point, someone will say yes, just because they want the job, you know? I don't think there's a right answer. I think it's just like something as a writer that you just have to like grapple with as you make work, you know? And I think sometimes you can say, nope, for this project, I am making that ask. I am gonna say that. And I'm gonna trust, like it, like the play, my play right now is so much about consent. And like some of consent is trusting each other to like say yes and to say no. At a certain point, like you can trust an actor to be like, no, no, I am okay with that. I want to do it, you know? Yeah. Um, you talked about Greg Keller. Tell me about that scene. Um, it looked to me like you're beating the hell out of his butt with that belt. Is is that, what's the magic going on there? Or is there any? There's a little magic. It is painful and stuff, but we have done things to like protect him. There's like a little um, padding on the belt actually. So I hit with the padding, but the inside of the belt is the leather, which makes the sound because the leather is still slapping across against the leather, but the, but the, the side that's hitting him has some padding, but it still hurts. It, you know, makes his ass red, like it, or it, it hurts. I mean, it's so, it's so complicated. We, we, um, we check in before each show and we check in after each show. And like I said, I don't think it would have ever worked with someone who hadn't been like a long-term collaborator. Many, 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 like, iterations to build up like trust and that kind of like communication and stuff. And also like a really good intimacy director. Talk about what the intimacy uh, director's approach to the show was. I mean, the, there's intimacy directing where you, there's a moment of nudity or there's a kiss. And then there's this play where, I mean, top to bottom, it's just, it just goes there and there, it deals with rape and it deals with, um, you know, all these just, uh, I mean, the, the, that last scene where you guys are making that potion that you drink for that ritual, um, is really intense. And like, how, what is the, how does the intimacy director even, uh, enter a process like this? What was their approach? Well, I, I had a meeting with Dave and Zuelo and I, he was just so obviously the right person from, for the job, just in terms of his understanding the play and his understanding kink and his understanding also like the witchcraft in the play, you know, and that like people ask, why are you in it? And it's like, well, I'm in it honestly, because the whole play is a ritual. It's like, I wrote this play because I was sexually assaulted and me going through the steps of this play are like a very complicated, like ritual to like get that like out of my body in a way. And so I think that Dave, some people like, 
feel that about the play and some people don't. And Dave was a person who like really felt that about the play, that it was a ritual. And I think he was really interested in all of these physical, intimate, sexual, other intimacy, like spit moments that were essentially like ritualized moments. Like the spanking is a catharsis. Like the, the ritual with the spit is like a healing ritual. The electricity at the end is like a healing ritual. And so he has all the skills of like, oh, put the foam on the belt. And this is how you do like the technical skills of like how to make stuff safer or more, more like comfortable. But he also just like so deeply understood the emotion, the emotional core of these different acts. I felt like in very safe hands to get like the right kind of feel you know, and it's also like individual choice, like in terms of the p- potion, like I drink the potion and like Connie doesn't, you know what I mean? Like the, there's, there's like space in the play for like people to kind of like make their own choices about what they want to do. You know, I thought for sure, and I, I, I'd have to watch it again, but I thought for sure you guys poured something into the thing and then you switched what you were drinking out of. So it wasn't actually, but you're, you're actually drinking what you put in that thing. I, yeah, I drink it. Wow. I drink. <laughs> Is that important to you for some reason? Yeah, I think so. It, for me personally, because this play was born out of what it was born out of, I do feel like I'm going through like a ritual every night. And so for me, I want it to be real. You know what I mean? I want to actually like go through the steps and... I, but I also will say like I, as is probably evident, like I'm not squeamish. So like that's what's so fascinating about this stuff is like, for me, it's actually like, so not a big deal to drink that potion. (laughs) Like it's very, like I, like it doesn't turn my stomach. It doesn't like, you know, it's easy. So that's like my personal relationship to it, to someone, for someone else that would be like a hard boundary. And they would be like, I would never ever do that. You know, I feel like these different boundaries are all very like in flux, changing night to night slightly. And also just like very personal. If I ask a question that is too much for you, just tell me to to screw off and don't, you know, don't, don't feel pressured to answer anything you don't want to or talk about anything you don't want to. Um, But I, I, I want, I have a few things. I want to ask you where that ritual comes from, because I, I imagine it has real meaning and not just the uh, creation of, of an imaginative playwright. And is there, if you're really drinking it, is there really blood in there that you're drinking? Well, answer the blood question first. I mean, I, I no, we, we use, um, I'm telling you all the secrets, but it's only because it's like the end of the play. So I think it's okay. But like we use lube and edible blood because I, I don't have a period all month. Right. And so I've actually been like skipping over my period week on my birth control. So like, I don't have a period Yeah, But then I do put it inside of me and take it outside of me. And I'm sure there are real spit rituals, but like actually that spit ritual came from something I made when I was in my 20s for my best friend, um, Agnes Brinsky, who is also the dramaturg on the piece. And I made it, I made a thing for her as like a friendship ritual where we, and we did use real menstrual blood and um, we formed it at ensemble studio theater when we were both in young blood. And so like, I, it, it, I'm sure there are, but I didn't like do research. I'm sure there are, but it was, it came out of a kind of like a best friend, like imaginary ritual that I then like turned into like a sister ritual. Yeah. Um, I just, I want to, um, you, you mentioned that you were actually sexually assaulted and I wanted to, um, address that and not just let that be something you said and like I ignored it. Um, so I, I kind of want to walk right into it, but I, I want to be sort of, um, 
uh, transparent with you that I I'm I feel uncomfortable because I don't know what to say about that. Like like is it helpful for me? Like like you know I want to say I'm so sorry. Yeah, that's but, o- yeah, that's okay. I understand. It's that stuff like like when I feel like when it's always hard to know when someone's passed away or something bad has happened or or you know whatever. It's hard to know like what what to say. But um, I appreciate you just acknowledging it. And um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what to say about it either. I have like a long, complicated, like sexual history from when the time I was about 20 years old, which I won't go into right now. But like, it's been very weird for me. It's been very weird, overwhelming for me to perform this show because those feelings and that history is very much like alive and awake, like every night when I do the show And then in terms of like audience response, people have like a very different um, uh, awareness of that. So you, you have people in the audience who have also been sexually assaulted, who are like weeping, you know, while they watch the show, they're slightly, they're either feeling therapeutic or they're triggered, not necessarily in a bad way, maybe in a bad way. I don't know. But so you have people having those experiences and then you have people who like don't even know or understand because of the way the play is made. It's like, it's a, it's a slippery structure. Lots, some people don't even know that my character has experienced a sexual assault because she never actually comes out and like says that, you know? And so it's been very strange for me to put my body on stage and be performing the play. And I know what the truth of it is. And then as an artist to have to kind of like accept and embrace all of these different reactions, which are all like valid and interesting and good, you know, um, I think that's actually been like the most challenging part of the the play for me. Probably one of the most moving moments for me uh, in the play is watching you listening to the two girls talking about how they've been sexually assaulted and you just sit there in the foreground. And the night I came, I mean, there were real tears just flowing down your face is are you that sort of emotionally raw every single night or does it sometimes happen not always how does that work you know it's been really interesting I wasn't in the beginning and then at a certain point of accumulation I can't remember it was 10 shows in seven shows in I can't remember something flipped in me and I've pretty much been that way every single night with now now I won't be that way for the rest of the run oh no it was almost Uh, like a flip switched and I and I was sort of like oh it's not going to happen again tonight it's not going to happen again tonight and then it would and there's been a few shows in there where it just doesn't and that's fine and good too and at first I was really self-conscious about it and I went to our stage manager Laura and I was like is this really bad if I'm like this emotional you know that part of the play has like taken me by surprise a little a little bit Um, Tell me about directing the play. Why did you want to direct this one? Well, you know, we were originally going to do this play. I'm interested in directing in general. I've I've worked on very like unconventional processes where I've been the playwright, but more of a directorial force than I think is like traditional. And often when I write plays, there's a lot of like directorial ideas in the script in terms of casting or like the way they should be done. And so I think that I have worked with amazing directors and then also have sometimes felt slightly like creatively like frustrated in terms of not being able to actually um, participate in certain parts of the process. And for this play, I actually wanted to direct it first. And then it was only through like working on the directorial side of things that I sort of realized, oh, I think I actually need it's so crazy. I mean, it's such a crazy choice. I think I actually like need to be in this 
for it emotionally to like make sense. I did not rewrite the play during the process. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't have done all three if I was also, it's, it's an old play. I wrote it in the aftermath of a sexual assault. I didn't want to change it. I was like, this play needs to be, I want to do it the way that this person wrote it in that moment, you know? And so, um, cause it was in a moment before I, I, would publicly say that I was sexually assaulted. That's why my character doesn't have words yet. Like she is like, we often talk about the play. She's like pre-diagnosis. There's a part of the play where she talks about like all of these physical things that have been happening to her mono and strep and pimples and like, uh, like viral infections and all of these things. And she talks about her dermatologist saying she thinks that it's like emotional problems, emotional problems, which is a real thing that happened to me. I'm bipolar and I, I physically got very ill, chronically ill across all of these different things. And it was actually because of my untreated bipolar. And so my character in the play, all of which is to say my character in the play, she's like pre-diagnosis. She's like pre-language. She's, she's struggling with mental health and she's struggling in the wake of this assault, but she hasn't like named it. She hasn't like named it yet. And so I now that I have named it and now that I am bipolar and will say that I've been sexually assaulted, I didn't want to go in and like change the script. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? To be like with that. Cause I felt like it was a unique capture of someone who's in a tremendous amount of pain, but doesn't talk about it yet. You know, I didn't want to, so I didn't want to make it more explicit. And so, yeah, I wouldn't, this is a long way of saying, like, if I had been wanting to like really rip the play apart and write new scenes and be bringing in pages to previews and like changing stuff, then I wouldn't have been able to do all three. But because I just wanted to like do the script as it was written, it was possible. Interesting. Um, How long after the assault did you start working on this? I mean, I assume you you were writing plays before before that happened. It wasn't like you got assaulted and your response was to write a play, but you felt like it was. I was already a playwright, and I, so I've been assaulted. I've been assaulted multiple times, Ugh. starting oh. when I was twenty. Oh no! The one that the play was inspired by was another playwright. It was a series of situations that happened in two thousand and thirteen, but I didn't actually write about it until. 2016. And I actually remember when I first started writing about it, I, it's the pizza scene in the play with the two girls that, that are just like talking about what happened. And I, they're talking about men trying to fuck them without condoms basically. And sort of like various manipulative sexual tactics. Um, and I remember I was at space on writer farm, which is a residency spot. And I, wrote that whole scene in one take. And I basically just wrote like everything I could remember that had not, not everything that's happened in my life, but I was just literally like trying to like chronicle certain things that I felt like were fucked up, but I had like a hard time explaining like why they were fucked up because they weren't in quotes, sexual assaults. So they were like technically consensual, but to use a word from the play in quotes, violative. It's like violative, but like technically consensual. So I just, I tried to do this like massive, like chronicling of that. And that was sort of like the first wave of getting that out of my body. And then the Kyle and Shireen relationship, Kyle being based on this playwright came second, basically. Wow. Well, you're, you're so frank and you're so open as a person. I mean, you're willing to talk about the, the sexual assault and then you're also telling me that you're bipolar. 
it's why you're so talented as a writer because you don't hold back. You're not, you, you don't keep anything to yourself. You just kind of want to put all out, put it all out there. But, but what's that like? Is that just you? Is that just naturally who you are or, or do you strive to be that way? Or how, where does that all come from? I think it's a mix. I mean, for me, it's honestly political. Like saying that I'm bipolar publicly is a way to get control back control of that in my life, but it's also a way to try to like destigmatize mental health, like mental illness. Cause I, I consider myself a person with like mental illness because my bipolar, like hugely detrimentally affects my life. Like it's a bit, it's a big impediment. So, but, but I, I, but I'm living my life and I'm making my work and I'm having relationships and I'm doing it. So for, so some of it is me kind of like forcing myself to do it because I actually feel like it's, Good. It's good to do that. It, and it's political to do that. And then I'm sure some of it is just my personality. I've always really valued like honesty. And it's weird. I'm actually pretty shy. But like, I there's this part of me always since I was little, that's like, comfortable putting myself out there. Like you, I think you said earlier, like putting yourself on the line or taking one for the team. And I think those mm-hmm. are like aspects of my personality where it's like, well, I can I'll say it, I'll do it. Um, but it is really scary. And I think that sometimes and this is maybe me being a little vulnerable, or I'm like a little embarrassed to say that I think this play, it's been rough at times to feel a little bit too exposed or too like out there in a way that feels like not entirely safe. And that's not the Atlantic did everything to keep me safe. Like everyone has been like, so nice. It's just the nature of like making live work. Like, it's, it's sometimes I have felt like, whoa, I wish I could just like crawl into a hole and like hide. And I've definitely had nights where I'm like, I just don't want to do the play. Like, I just, I don't want to have to think about that. I don't have to go there. I'm sure lots of actors can relate to that. But also for me, it just feels so naked because I like wrote and direct it and it's autobiographical. So it's just like, I feel so naked. There's been some pretty hard moments where I've sort of thought about like moving to a cabin in the woods and leading a more like private existence. Well, I look up to you because I I can tell you I've written things in plays that then I didn't want to ever show that play to anybody. And I, some plays I'd still sit on and I don't, I don't have that courage that you have or the willingness to to put it out there. And I'm just in awe of you. Oh, that's nice. And I'm sure you do, or maybe it's good you didn't, or maybe it'll change, you know, in years to come. Like, like I said, this play I wrote in 2016, but we didn't do it till 2022. So like, you know, time can sometimes make something feel less like you can't say it. I think. What was the journey of, of showing this play to people and then getting finally getting the Atlantic to put it on their stage? A lot of theaters didn't like it. Like it was, it's not a play for everyone and not everyone understands it. And then it, the people who like it speaks to, they, it is deeply, deeply meaningful too. And then there's like a lot of people who are like, not for me. And that was same with like theaters, like, yeah, lots of theaters like passed on this play. At the Atlantic, I was actually like working on a different play with them. And then they were like, well, what else do you have? So it, it ended up like coming to the Atlantic in a kind of like accidental way. And they, they've they been really great with the play. Like, I think they didn't, at first they weren't sure, but then they gave it like patience and time to kind of like get the right group of people together and like figure it out. They've been like really, really supportive of this play. And I feel like really grateful. And I feel like they understand it. Um, 
And I, that doesn't always happen when you have a play done at a theater. Sometimes they're doing your play, but they don't understand it. And I'll be honest, when I came to see it, I kind of walked into the theater quite frightened because some of the things that I had read about the play um, made me like, I was a little anxious. Um, You know, like I, one review talked about like the, the poop monologue. And then they talked about like a woman in a case suspended from the ceiling. And it just, to me, sounded like, um, like it could be a really wild night in the theater. But there was also a beauty to it that I don't think any critic has, has put their finger on yet. No one is, everyone wants to talk about all the button pushing elements of the play, but, but no one has yet talked about the beauty of the play. And, and for me, I think this is true of all of the plays I've read of yours is that there's tremendous pain that all the characters are going through, but then there's also a tremendous love in the play, the, the love that exists between the sisters. There's even love that exists, I think, between you and Greg's character. I think that's also true in Baby Scream's Miracle. Like, it feels like in that play, the characters obviously love each other, but there's also an element of being able to hurt each other. There's something that I sense in the the daughter and her parents. Like, I, it doesn't explicitly say, I don't think, but it feels like something painful has happened between those characters. Am I, am I reading that into it or is there something oh, there? No, you're right. You're right. Yeah. I really, really appreciate you saying that. I think the play is incredibly like sweet and tender and loving. I, it also does make me sad that yeah, I, lots of audience members have felt that, but like it, I didn't read all, I didn't read the reviews cause I was acting in it, but I have like a sense of them. And it, to me, it seems like they all focused on gross, which I just think is so I mean, I think it's misogynistic. (laughs) It's not like even that shit monologue. It's like, if you just think that's a monologue about shit, you're not listening. It is a monologue about control over your body. And a woman who is being fucked so that she has so little control over her body that she shits herself. And there is language in that monologue, explicit language. Like, I don't even know if we fucked. I don't even know which hole is which hole. I don't even know what my mouth is versus my asshole because I'm so fucking full of a man that I like actually don't know what's happening to me, you know? And so like, I don't, not to be too like controversial or like fight back or whatever, but I find it disturbing, frankly, that someone could hear that monologue with such explicit language about sex and consent and think that it is, a shit monologue. I, know, yeah. I hear you. Yeah. It's not even like subtle. Like the writing isn't even subtle. Like it's like literally, I don't even know if we just, what happened to my body or if we fucked, I don't even know what was happening. Like it's not subtle language. So it's, it's interesting to me. And clearly something's happening there that I should like pay attention to and maybe learn from, from, or like explore, which is like, are people just so grossed out by shit that if you put shit in something like that, they can't listen to the rest of the story. You know what I, do you know what I mean? Like, I don't, I don't quite know what's going on. And then you, I do ask myself, like, is it specific to gender in that moment? A woman talking about this as opposed to like all the shit humor that like other people have talked about, you know? So like, but it, that monologue really surprises me because it's, it's it's comedic and she's laughing, but it is so, to me, it feels very obviously about losing control of one's body with a, with while being fucked. It makes me sad that some what some people hear is poop. You know? I know. I'm so sorry. 
it's okay. Um, I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it's instructive. I also think some people just like won't go there and shut down and like, I'm not like mad about it. I'm more just like, huh, this is an interesting like phenomenon. And, and yeah, I do think the play has a lot of like sweetness to it. Um, so I don't know. It's interesting, but maybe sometimes I also ask myself is, is it the fact that I'm just not squeamish? So maybe, maybe what I'm learning is that like other people are getting shut down by things that like, don't shut me down. Right. So then they're not able to listen or something. I'm not, it's something to, it's something to think about. Do you ever get so frustrated with how people misunderstand your work that you just want to be like, forget it. I'm not writing for you people anymore. I'm, I'm out. Forget it. <laughs> you know, this is the only play that I've ever felt that way. And I think it's because the thing that that really hurt me is that people not understanding that Shireen had been sexually assaulted. Uh, that that was like a moment where I was like, I don't know how to talk to someone who sees this play and doesn't understand that something has happened to that character. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't actually want to talk to that person. That's the first time in my entire career. Cause I think it's great for people not to like your work. I think it's actually like really important. I think it's actually really dangerous when like everyone likes your work, you know, but that one, it was just too close to a nerve of like, Oh fuck. Like I'm standing up on stage saying I was sexually assaulted and you're, you're going la, 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 la. And again, maybe that's my fault. Maybe that's my fault, but ooh, that, that was a harder, that as an artist, that's, that's been one of the most painful things that I've, I've bumped up against. Have you gotten that reaction a lot? No, just, just, just from a few comments and like from a few, just like, like I didn't read reviews, but like having people be like, what, what was the vibe or what did people say? You know, that kind of stuff. No, because for me, that was the most obvious part about the play is that... that I think it's obvious, too. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, totally. Which which is why, I mean, once I saw the play, I felt, okay, there was no reason to be nervous about this because it's very tender and it's dealing with very serious stuff and very heavy stuff. It's not just some angry, provocative rant. You know, you're not just a provocateur. You're You're really dealing with something. But I think that the tenderness is what really touched me. And I think for me, where it got me too was the ritual at the end. It was the way you showed up for your sister played by Constance Shulman and how much support you're giving her in participating in this ritual, even though nobody else showed up. And that was that connection between sisters was very touching to me. Dance Nation was interesting for me because I, I haven't seen it yet. I've only read it. Um, but I, I picked it up. I run a theater company out out of just outside of Philadelphia called the Bristol Riverside Theater in Bristol, PA, and we're constantly looking for um, work that would be uh, right for our audience. And I picked up your play, Dance Nation, thinking it was going to be a nice play with with girls in a dance class, and this might be lovely for our audience. <laughs> and then I read it, and I thought, oh, I don't know, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know if I can do this. Um, we might we might have some angry audience members. I I didn't know your body of work um, at, at that well at the time when I read it. So I didn't know what the Claire Barron land was that we were kind of be entering into. Um, but tell me about that play. How, how has that play worked in, uh, in performance and, and what, what's that been like? Yeah, I've loved working on that play. I got to do a production in New York, London and Chicago. So I actually did like three productions of it and they were all really different. Um, it was so fun. And, you know, it's, it's teenage girls, but it's cast with actors of all ages, which I think is sometimes like hard to imagine when you read it. But I find in rehearsal and performance and also just like being part of that ensemble, like so fun and moving 
to be with like, you know, someone in their 50s or 70s or someone even in their 30s kind of revisiting this 13-year-old time in life when like so much of your identity is is formed. And I also have loved like then because the cast is intergenerational, the like friendships and relationships among the actors are intergenerational. Um and then it's also crazy because these we don't cast um, dancers, but they have to learn all these dance numbers. So like, <laughs> like they have to learn how to tap dance, and it's it's crazy because there's like not enough rehearsal time to begin with. And then on top of that, you're like surprised we have to learn like four dance numbers <laughs> like in three and a half weeks, including a tap number. Um, it's it's very chaotic and fun. Yeah, gosh, I missed. I haven't thought about that play in a long time. It feels like we did it at Playwrights Horizons in 2018, which now feels like so long ago. It was such like a joyful, difficult. It's always hard. It's always hard, but like such a joy, such a joyful, difficult experience. I know the Wilma did it in Philadelphia. Um, I, I kicked myself that I wasn't able to go see it. Um, were you at all aware of that production? Did you go check that out? Or I didn't get to see it, but I was aware of it. Yeah, and talked a little bit with the team. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. There's one scene I think for us that would be hard is is the scene that takes place in the locker room or the changing room where you you say explicitly that they are butt naked, I think, in the stage direction. Is it like talk to me about that? Is has have all the productions had the nudity and is that important to you in that play? Yeah, I mean that's so that I was I'm really like you like it sounds like you are as well. I'm really int- interested in non-sexualized nudity. So I was like really excited intellectually by this idea of like intergenerational women being naked together, like in a locker room felt like really empowering and beautiful. And it worked really well in New York. I don't even know why or how we we let them. Um, something that was really cool. Lee Sunday Evans was the director in New York and something she did with the nudity that I thought was really, really cool, which is that they could change it any night. So if they had someone coming in the audience, if a family member was coming or just like a professional person was coming, they didn't want to get naked. They could, they had like two tracks or like three different tracks of varying nudity. So you had, and it was also like every actor got to make their own decision. So the actors that were super comfortable with it just went for it. The actors, some People didn't want to do it at all. They didn't do it at all. And so I found that like very beautiful, that like um, diversity of choice and also the flexibility to make the decision that night. Do I want to get naked on stage today on a Tuesday when like Mrs. Adams is in the audience or not, you know? And then with other productions, I feel like I kind of failed, frankly, in, in the London production, I feel like I just failed in communication. It, it was it was like a weird miscommunication with like agents and the directors and the actors. And I feel like I ended up almost like, I it I think some of the actors felt like I was pressuring them to do it because uh-huh. I kept I kept bringing it up because we kept I felt in my in my perspective I was like wait we're not making a decision on this what's going on like what's going on but then I think people felt like inherent pressure in me continuing to bring it up. And then I, I also made another mistake in that I like, I kept talking about my own experiences being naked on stage, but like my experiences kind of don't have shit to do with somebody else's experiences who has like a different life experience. So like, I think that was also just like kind of annoying for me to like do <laughs> kind of like a bad move. So I, I, that's where I was sort of like, oh, I need to be more like smart and careful and consensual about like these nudity conversations. Um, so I kind of regret how, we handled it there. Um, even though I was like really grateful to the actors for like hearing me out and being so 
generous and game. Um, it was kind of like a learning experience for me. How do you feel about like when when people ask you for accommodations in their in their productions? Are you open to we want to do your play, but we want to change this? Are you are you up for that, or are you like don't even if you need to change my play, don't even talk to me. I, I definitely let people do Dance Nation with colleges, and and if high schools wanted to do it, they could do it, but they don't. But like I because it's supposed to be intergenerational, and so I definitely let. Um, the play be done with all young people, which in the beginning I was sort of like, oh, I won't do that because that's not the play. You know, it's not like the wolves. It's not like other uh, teenage girl plays. It's like needs this intergenerational element to be itself. And then I was just like, oh, I'm being pretentious. <laughs> like just do the fucking play. It's college. When I was in college, I did Who's Afraid of Virginia Wolf and I was Martha. You know what I'm saying? So like do the fucking play. But like um, I would definitely let people do the play without nudity. Someone wanted to take out parts of Ashley's speech where she's like, fuck you, you fuck, I can't remember the language anymore. And that I'm like, no, like if, if you don't want to do it with that speech, like don't do the, then just pick another play. So I do have like my things that I feel like protective of. Cool. Yeah. And let me ask you, are, do you, so do you act or pursue acting independently of your own writing or is that just something you do when you've written the play? I don't, you know, I wanted to be an actor before I was a playwright. I, I moved to New York at 23 and I would like wake up at five in the morning and go to the equity building and like wait in line to do like non-ec auditions. Yeah. <laughs> and like, you know, everyone, I mean, some of, maybe some people know that feeling of like waiting till like 4.30 and then you get like, you're like two minutes and you're like shaking, you're so nervous and then it doesn't go well and it's so devastating. And then you later find out that they're like not even real auditions because I've already cast the play, you know, like that life I did, did little productions all over New York. And then I wasn't super empowered or fulfilled. So I started writing plays and that just like went better for me faster. So I kind of gave up on acting slash no one was knocking on my door. So no, I've never had like acting agents and I've, I have acted in other shows, but it's mostly because like, um, it's mostly like people who know me, you know what I mean? Like someone who has a relationship with me. Um, mm -hmm. ask to do something. I would be down to do more of it. I just, I just haven't, I haven't had those opportunities. And let me ask you, is the, the being bipolar, is that well managed now? Does that get in the way of your ability to work or is it a constant struggle? I mean, I'm totally fine. I, I, um, I think it's, it is like, I think something like bipolar is like a lifelong struggle. It definitely affects my ability to work, but I am, I'm in a moment in my life. I've been moments in my life where like, I was super non-functional and I'm, I'm in a moment in my life where I think I'm functioning pretty well. Although like the thing about writing is I'm sure, you know, is like, it, it's fucking awful half the time, even when you're doing great, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's such a, it's such a like up and down and like good day, bad day, like self-loathing. And then like you have a weird high. So in some ways it's hard for me to tell, cause I feel like writing is like such a manic depressive experience of just like being so down and then so up. Sometimes it's hard to tell. Is that a piano behind you? Oh yeah, it is. It's keyboard. You, you you play you play keyboard? Um I used to play piano um and I like competitive piano when I was in high school. Like I'd compete in competitions in Washington state and now I just sometimes play little songs on the keyboard. Play for yourself. Yeah, just for myself. That's awesome. But I, I imagine you've you've got you at one point had serious chops, and it sounds like if you competed, it's all gone. I I was good at eighteen, but now it's like I'm just like plunking out Christmas carols and stuff like that. But I still like I find it very therapeutic. What What made you stop doing um, it seriously? Honestly, I was burnt out slash 
like I went to undergrad at Yale and mm-hmm. <laughs> there's like music prodigies there. Like that's, that's like, there's like going to a place like Yale is so fucking complicated. There's so many pluses and so many minuses. And like, I think one of the minuses is that when you go there, if you love something, but you're not like really exceptionally talented at it, you just kind of like, there's not like a spot for you. So like, I don't know, like some of the kids there were just like, so ridiculously gifted at piano. You sort of just feel like, you know, chopped liver in comparison. I felt the same way about like, I used to really love math and science, but I went to like a rural public high school. So I didn't like, I didn't get very far. So then when you go to a place like Yale, everyone's like, so, cause everyone's coming from like prep schools in New York and stuff everyone's like so far ahead of you. I lost my love of piano and I lost, I lost my love of math and science because of going to school there. That's that makes me sad. I'm so sorry to hear that. Um, what did you go to study at Yale? Oh, I did a, like a theater lit major. Yeah. And did you have a good experience there? I don't even know. I mean, college is so weird. You make this decision and then so much is happening to you at 18. You're like, you're right. like, is this the college or is this me? Like I, everything's right. a shit show, but I don't quite know like who's responsible. Um, I had a totally wild roller coaster, like all over the map experience. Um, cool. And finally, what's next for you? What, what's coming down the pike? Um, I'm doing some TV film stuff, which feels like a nice little break from the theater world. And then I'm, I mean, I'm supposed to do this play, an adaptation of Three Sisters directed by Sam Gold. And we were supposed to do that in May 2020. Um, and it got canceled. And I think we are scheduled to do it in the fall. So I think it's happening. I don't know for sure, but I think it is. How did that all come together? Did you go seeking out Sam or did he come looking for well, you? He came for me. Um, <laughs> but I, was, I was like not his first choice. You know, there was, it was like a whole saga. He came for me. I was not his first choice. But then I said no. But then he convinced me. It was like a whole love affair. Um, but I love Sam. And now we're um, we're friends. And I'm really excited to be like working with him. Does he have some sort of weird angle on Three Sisters or, or can you not talk about it? You know, it's it's he does have so many thoughts about it, but my brain is like so crazy in the the land of this play that I feel like I won't be able to like represent them well slash I'm kind of excited to hear how his thoughts have like changed. Cause you know, again, all of his ideas about that production were like pre COVID and pre pandemic. So um, it'll be interesting to see. Is there a theater company that's committed to it yet? It's New York theater workshop. Yeah. The workshop. Wonderful. I'll, I can't wait to watch to see that. I'll look out for that. And how did the TV and, and film transition happen? Did you um, go looking for that or did they come looking for um, you? No, they came for me after my play, You Got Older, which was way back in 20. The play was in 2014, but I started doing like the water bottle tour or whatever in 2015. So I've been working in TV and film for seven years, I guess. But you know oh. what? I had I did not have a lot of success with it. And I had like a steep learning curve. Like my plays are so um the way that I write my plays does not translate well to screenwriting. I think some playwrights have a beautiful transition where it's just like fucking sexy and it's like really <laughs> nice. And for me, I had to kind of like totally rethink how I tell a story and how it works. And so I really struggled. I've, I've had various like deals and opportunities that I'm grateful for, but like, I kind of failed at all of them and struggled 
And um, I'm only now kind of, I, I'm really excited about, I'm working on a movie right now and I'm working on a TV show that's, I'm a writer on someone else's project. And both of those, I'm, I only now kind of really feel like I have like my feet under me um, in terms of just like feeling confident and comfortable. Um, and just in terms of like the art of screenwriting, you know? Um, so it's been a long, it's been a long journey for me, but the great thing about TV and um, film is that you still get paid even if you fail. <laughs> right. Yeah. That is lovely. Yeah, which is a nice, which is a nice little nice safety net. Perk. So I've staffed on like a few shows that were just like canceled, you know, or never made it like, you know, um, and it's heartbreaking because like you've worked so hard writing these scripts, you know, and then the show is just canceled, but at least they like pay you for writing the scripts. And are so. you able to do all of it from New York or do you have to go out to LA for stints? Um, I have been all in New York, but I am, yeah, I've been all in New York, but I think I'm going to be spending some more time in LA just for like a little change in the near, near future. So we'll see. You like it there? I don't know. I'm actually, I'm actually dating someone in LA. And so like, I'm moving there to be not long distance. So I better like it is the answer. Oh, you're moving. Yeah. I'm like moving for the short term. Well, it's a long-term conversation, but like for the short term, I'm, I'm, I'm moving to LA to be with my partner. So are you giving up your place? I'm going to keep my place in New York. Cause I'm going to hopefully be coming back for three sisters, but I met my partner over zoom. So we're like a zoom COVID romance. No kidding. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We met on zoom first. Um, Under what circumstance? Like, our, like, was it, a- we were working on a project together. Um, oh. so yeah, we met, yeah, we met like this and like worked on this project together. And like, after the project was over, it like turned into a romantic relationship, but it's just funny. It's like, it's a true like COVID COVID love story. Cause we would have never probably even been doing the project without the pandemic, you know? Yeah. So when do you leave? When are you out of here? April. April. Wow. 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 Well, I, I, I wish you a lot of luck uh, with that. And I, I, I'll be interested to hear if you like, um, LA or not. I, I had a, I, I didn't love it myself just because of the sitting in the car all the time and sitting in traffic, but uh, How long were you there when you no, I never lived there. I went out to visit friends for like 10 days at a time. And I was like, I'm not feeling this <laughs> not for you, not for me. So I stayed on the East coast. My but. boyfriend is like terrified. I'm going to hate it. So maybe, maybe you're onto something. Well, fingers crossed. Hopefully you won't hate it and you'll be lovely out there and you'll enjoy it and, and all your work will be great. I, I I really am glad to know you're out there writing because your work is so frank and so open. And I think that you embody the courage that I don't know that we have a lot of in the American theater. So I applaud you and I, and I wish you well, and I hope you keep writing and, and, and sharing your work with us because you're kind of a great example, I think, for the courage that the rest of the industry really needs. Thank you. That's really kind of you to say that. Thank you. Thanks so much for talking. So lovely to meet you and thank you Uh, for having me. All right. How about that? That was a fun conversation, wasn't it? Be on the lookout for Claire Barron. She's out in L.A. now doing television work, but she'll be back hopefully next season at the New York Theater Workshop um, with her uh, collaboration on Chekhov, 
with Sam Gold. So I'm going to look out for that, and you should too. In the meantime, check out what we're doing at brtstage.org. Come see a few good men. And this summer, we're doing great concerts. We've got the Commodores, the Stylistics, the Indigo Girls. Yes, the Indigo Girls are coming to Bristol to perform for us. That's August 25th. I know you want to be there. Get your tickets at brtstage.org. And we're doing Herman's Hermits in September. So a lot of great stuff coming up. Don't miss my production of A Few Good Men, please. May 22nd. It's a great show, and I'm so proud of it, and I want you all to see it. So come check it out, and if you do, shoot me an email at ken at theauditionhelper.com. Okay, great chatting with you. I want to thank, as always, my good friend Nate Beversluis, who wrote my theme music. Thank you to Claire Barron, and thank you all for listening to this podcast and liking it and subscribing to it and go back and hear all of our episodes. I am going to talk to you again very soon. I'm done directing for a while, so I'll have more time to talk with more artists and bring you their stories. Till then, be well, stay safe, stay healthy, and go out there and audition and book your dream job. 